So we are in our final week of the Upper Room Discourse. Um, I can't believe that we've done six weeks in this passage already, and I hope that you've really uh, enjoyed it and, and, and kind of come back to some really core parts of our Christian faith, yeah? And uh, before we dive into it today, I want to get you to imagine that Marvel is about to produce a new superhero movie. I know, another one? Yes, another one. But this one is, uh, let me pitch the idea to you. Maybe imagine that you're Marvel's executives, and that you're Kevin Feige, and you're about to decide on whether this new superhero is worth making a movie about. So this superhero, his name is Jesus. He's a Spanish dude. All right? So Jesus, uh, he's got a couple of pretty amazing superpowers. He can heal any diseases any disabilities. Some people even say death, you know, that's one of his superpowers. And the other thing is that he has control over nature. And so he can, you know, uh, control storms, he can make earthquakes, he can do all that kind of stuff. Um, He's pretty up there in terms of power. And he lives in a little town um, in Spain, or wherever he comes from, Um, and they've been oppressed for many, 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 many years by this big bad army. And these guys have been, not nice, but they don't really have any superpowers. They just happen to have a really large army. And so Jesus comes on the scene and people are like, man, this guy is the real deal. And they start to gather around him because they think that Jesus could actually make their lives better by overthrowing this crazy big army. I mean, he controls nature, he, and if you fight with Jesus, if you get injured, he kind of just touches you and you're all right. So they, they're kind of like, maybe this will be the right way to go. And so this is, the, the, the movie kind of goes around how a whole bunch of people come around Jesus and they're like, man, this is, this is really the real thing. But then towards the end of the movie, there's going to be a bit of a plot twist. Jesus actually speaks to his inner circle and he says, guys, I have to let you know something. My mission isn't to overthrow those guys. I have a separate mission altogether. And this separate mission uh, uh, requires me to actually go over to those bad guys and let them kill me. And they're all like, no, Jesus, no, what are you on about? We could really win this thing. This could be it. We could be free we could actually live our lives for the first time ever. You know, they're thinking about that. They're like, what are you on about? We can do this. And then the final scene is Jesus going to this army and being killed. End scene. Do you think Marvel's going to pick up Jesus? How many of you want to watch that movie? Bit of a downer, isn't it? It's like, the. Well, I want you to imagine that that's where those disciples were at with Jesus. Say, sneaky, Jesus and Jesus, kind of the same dude. In case you didn't know. I was being a bit clever there, wasn't I? But when we come to this conversation, this teaching, this discourse that Jesus gives, it's called the farewell discourse because Jesus is saying bye to them. 
And they are in this place. We, we celebrate Palm Sunday, or we commemorate Palm Sunday as the Sunday that Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And he comes into Jerusalem riding a donkey, and everyone lines the streets saying, um, and they are kind of worshiping Jesus. They're saying, this is the king, Hosanna. Hosanna means the one who is able to save. They believe that Jesus is the one who is able to save. That's what they believe. That's what they're thinking about. Out. And then Jesus goes and has this conversation with his disciples, and he says to them, See you later. I'm going to be dying, and then I'm going to come back. And they're like, What, dying? No one said dying. We were thinking overthrowing, we were thinking victory, we were thinking freedom. We weren't thinking you dying, and we don't know what to do about that. And so as we enter into this final part of this conversation, I really want to capture the sense of what is going on here. So in John 16, verse 16, is what it says, A little while and you will see me no longer, and again in a little while you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this thing that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus has been talking for a long time. And he's been saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to come back and see you guys. I'm going to go to heaven with the Father. And the Holy Spirit will be given to you. And they're like, what? And this is literally right at the end of the teaching. And they're still going, we don't get this. So once the theologian, D.A. Carson, puts it this way, the disciples had no category to allow them to make sense of a Messiah who would die, rise from the dead, and abandon his people in favor of another counselor. I want you to think about that. The disciples had no category for a Messiah who would do the things that Jesus is explaining and going on and saying the Holy Spirit is better for you than for me to be here with you. He said that time and time again. There are five paraclete passages, Holy Spirit passages. Every one of them, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to do a greater work than I am. And he's going to enable you to do the greater things that God has planned for you to do. And we sit on this side of history where we know that Jesus died and rose again. And we're all like, yay, our sins are forgiven. For these guys, they were like, no, what is going on? We have the opportunity to make history here. And they had no category. But I want to put forward to you, even with the ability uh, to stand on this side of time and understand that Jesus dies and rises again, do we have a category for understanding who Jesus really is in our lives? Or do we, every now and then, come up against an aspect of Jesus that we don't get? And when I look at these passages, the new commandment that Jesus gives to us doesn't make much sense for me. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. And by this shall all people know that you are my disciples, you have love for one another. Jesus, no. Do more miracles. Calm more storms. And I make lightning appear, make bread multiply. By that shall people know that you are God. And Jesus says, no, love your neighbor. Disciple one another. Live in community. 
Be vulnerable, love and be loved. Give and receive. Encourage one another as long as today is called today. These are all passages in the Bible and Jesus says that is how the kingdom of heaven is revealed on this earth. I don't have a category for that. Some of you are here today because you believe that the Messiah is so great that he's going to give you everything that you want. Some of you think that Jesus saving you means that you never feel bad. You don't feel regret anymore. You don't feel shame anymore. You don't feel... And yes, to some extent, in fact, to a huge extent, Jesus does that. Some of you are here because you have no hope. And you're a place where things are not working out well. And you've come and you've gone, maybe this Messiah will give me hope. And then you stuck around for a while. And you're like, yeah, this is great, this is awesome. But then slowly but surely, that hopelessness seems to creep back again. And you start to question, did Jesus really save me? Sometimes our categories of how Jesus is meant to operate covers our eyes and causes us to fail to understand who this Jesus really is. And we want Jesus to work according to our methods rather than to come to terms with his methods. And we can't do that. And so Jesus knows what's happening, and in verse 19 he says, it says, Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him, and so he says to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, oh, by the way, Jesus also has this amazing ability to know what's in our hearts. <laughs> Add that to your superpower list, Jesus. What I meant by saying, a little while you will not see me, and in a little while you will see me. And this is his response. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And this is one of the things that Jesus does that I don't have a category for in that he answers questions by not answering questions. <laughs> when is this going to happen? Let me tell you another story. <laughs> what? I don't need another story. Just give it to me straight, Jesus. Anyway, so he doesn't really seem to answer what, uh, what captures the disciples in this moment. And he says, what does it mean by a little while? And this is another aspect uh, that, that we struggle with when it comes to Jesus, that Jesus has a different timing to ours. And I think in Christian circles, we often talk about this. But Jesus is here saying, a little while, you're not going to see me. A little while, you'll see me. What do you mean by a little while? Jesus is like, in a couple of hours, all right, I'm going to be crucified. And then three days later. Now, Jesus has actually already said that to them before. He has told them, I'm going to be giving myself over um, to, to the Romans, and they are going to crucify me, but I will rise on the third day, and I will come and see. He has told that to them plainly, but they're still not quite understanding this. But Jesus, instead of answering the timing question, he helps them understand the process that they are going to be going through. And he says, you're going to be going through a process of grief that will turn into joy. I think that is something that we all need to understand. The Savior's methods doesn't bring us joy necessarily immediately. Sometimes that joy comes in a little while. Sometimes that joy comes 
through sorrow and through pain. Jesus might be saving your soul, yes, but the process of that healing goes through a valley of pain. But through that valley of pain, Jesus likens it to a pregnancy that a woman, when pregnant, she gets to a point where the pregnancy is now no longer fun and, oh, what are we going to name our child? And, oh, how are we going to decorate the room? But now it's like a watermelon in your body. And you're like, man, get this thing out. But then at the same time, I don't know about this, but there's a sense of like, there's going to be pain. The final push to bring life is also one of great pain is one of actual breaking and jesus likens what his disciples are going to go through to that kind of pregnancy but then he foretells that the joy comes because life has been achieved life has been brought forth and i just want to put this out for us that through jesus's resurrection that there can be pain in our everyday lives. That's a category that we need to be okay with. The Messiah saves and is saving and will save. And in the meantime, there will be pain. There will be sorrow and there will be grief. But there's also going to be joy because life is going to come. See, one of the things about our church is that we have this tagline, inspiring people to live. I feel like I need to add something more in there because I think sometimes we think about life so much uh, in cultural terms that we forget that life comes through Christ, in Christ, and for Christ. So we, maybe we need to inspire people to live in Christ and for Christ because that's where real life comes. But the process of living in Christ and for Christ sometimes takes a breaking period and a painful period. The Bible doesn't shy away from this. We do in our individualistic minds. You say, you say you're going to save me. What do you mean I have to do this? Yes. And that is a part of the process. Understanding that what Jesus is doing in our lives when there is pain uh, helps us to understand that there's a purpose behind the pain. It's that we are carrying something precious, something alive inside of us, something that will come through for us and bring new life and joy. Let's keep going. Verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, there is something in here that at the same time, while I do 100% believe that there is going to be pain in our Christian walk, that it's at the same time this weird thing that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, knowing that he has resurrection life, there is always joy in the midst of sorrow. There is always joy. It says this, you will have joy and nothing will ever steal that joy. These disciples, one by one, were tortured to the point of death. And Jesus knows that that is going to happen. And yet he still says to them, no one can take that joy from you. How many of us have, have been persecuted to the point of death? 
Maybe some of us require that kind of persecution for us to understand that the joy that we have in the resurrected Christ goes beyond any situation or circumstance or persecution that we face. There are times that I think that maybe people in third world nations that haven't had all the comforts that we have truly understand joy because they haven't placed their joy in physical, materialistic things or in a comfortable lifestyle. They understand that there's hard work, but they still receive joy from the relationships that they have. They receive joy from Christ. I love going to third world nations and just seeing the smile on their faces when they're worshiping God. And I'm going, man, I don't, you don't even have a, a fifth of what I have, but yet you have joy. Where's that joy from? Maybe that joy is because they see the resurrected Christ and they know where their hope is found. And so when we understand the resurrected Christ, we might be faced with difficult situations. But do you understand that the sorrow coexists with the joy? The grief can coexist with the joy. When I see loved ones struggling, there is sorrow. When there are things that don't work out in my life, there is sorrow. Because we're experiencing it. And Jesus isn't saying that you're not going to feel bad ever. In fact, he makes it super, super relatable. He says, yes, you will have sorrow now. I get it. In fact, this is quite... When we put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus, he's been warning his disciples, possibly for months, this is going to happen. And he did say in a couple of passages that we were exploring a while ago, he'd say, if you really knew what I was about to do, you would be rejoicing for me. But right now you are filled with sorrow. He's saying, I get it. Your human nature pulls you into this place and you're experiencing and you're looking at the negative. But understand that I've got a mission and a purpose that is so much bigger. And so um, this passage, uh, theologically speaking, does look into what we can call the end times. And the end times has become a phrase that has been co-opted into many different ways and, uh, and some of us maybe have received teaching that the end times is coming. Biblically speaking, the end times is already here. Uh, and that doesn't mean that we're looking for some kind of antichrist or some blood moon or some kind of war uh, that is going to take over the world or, 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 or any of that kind of stuff. The end times basically is this, that there is... Uh, the season of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, and then there's a season where the Messiah comes and flips everything around, and then there's the, if you will, the era of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is sent, and that happened uh, on the day of Pentecost uh, over 2,000, 2000 years ago, and that's the end times. We're now living in an age where God has revealed Himself to each and every single one of us through His Holy Spirit, and we are ushering in the kingdom, and then that time will finish. Um, and so when Jesus says um, in verse 22, and your hearts will rejoice, is a direct quote from Isaiah 66 verse 14, which says, you shall see and your hearts shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and his indignation, sorry, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies, that is a, uh, a prophecy that Isaiah gives about the end times. 
And so uh, theologians believe that Jesus was speaking to, uh, to his disciples about what they're about to experience with his death. But he's also speaking to us today that, hey, there is a day where Jesus is coming again as well. So that joy is available to us. How did Jesus say that joy is available to us? By asking the Father. By asking the Father. Now, he says something that's a little bit cryptic, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he shall give to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. What is going on here? Jesus is actually just trying to show to them that right now, their interaction is with physical human Jesus in that moment in time. And so they will ask of Jesus. But Jesus is saying there's a time coming where you are going to interact with the Father as though you have interacted with me. You're going to ask the Father just like you have asked me. You haven't done that yet because I'm still with you and the resurrection hasn't occurred yet. But when the resurrection occurs, it's a sign that you have access to the Father like you have access to me. And we need to get that into our hearts. That as modern day Christians, we have access to the Father as much as the disciples had access to physical Jesus. It's like I have access to Beck. I have conversations. I can ask. I can, I can talk things through. I can do that with the Father through prayer. And us, as modern day disciples... We need to get this because it, Jesus tells us, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, sometimes I wonder whether the sorrow overwhelms the joy in our hearts because we have stopped praying. We are focused so much on the things that aren't working and we give all of our attention to fix the things that aren't working that we're not turning to the one who is actually the source of all comfort, the source of all joy and the source of all life. And when we abide with Jesus, when we understand His will, even though things aren't working out, we can still ask and say, Jesus, I know that you died and that you have said that I have, have your peace. When we come to that place of asking, that's the place that our joy is full. The privilege to ask in Jesus' name is a post-resurrection promise. And if you believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, you are living in a time of privilege. Can I say that again? The ability to ask in Jesus' name is a post-resurrection privilege. And we are living in that privileged times. And I'm struggling with this because sometimes I think like, oh, God already knows what I need. And if he really loves me, he's going to give it to me. Well, stop being so... Ugh. I have to tell that to myself. Come on, I need to get back into God's presence. I need to pray. I need to be in um, conversation with God. It's in those moments that God shows me what He's wanting to accomplish. Now, verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, and because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So that second half is again, what Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples is like, guys, 
when I die and I'm resurrected, you have that kind of relationship with the Father as you have with me. It's meant to be super encouraging. Um, uh, At the same time, he also does say, hey, you know, there are things that right now you don't get and and we consider it uh, figures of speech, but when you understand the resurrection, you will understand all of this. And so when we read these scriptures with the light of the resurrection, it's plain speech to us. So when we ask, Jesus, what do you mean by ask and uh, ask anything in your name and I'll receive? Yes, it's plain speech. Because Jesus died and rose again, if you are in him, if you abide in him, you can ask anything that is uh, according to his purposes and it will be done. It will be done. Plain speech. Not figures of speech. Plain speech. The resurrection holds all of the upper room discourse together. Um, And so um, Jesus is kind of saying to the disciples, guys, I understand that you're going to struggle with a lot of this. But in a few days' time, it's going to become plain to you. That's basically what he's saying. Now let's see the disciples' response in verse 29, because this is frankly hilarious. So his disciples said, ah... Now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and you do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to your own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So the disciples... When I read that before, I was kind of like, that's a bit of a disconnect here. Jesus said, these things I will, you, you, you'll get post-resurrection. And then the disciples were like, I don't need to wait for that. I get it now. In other words, what the disciples were saying here is, we're smarter than you think we are. We get things. We've lived a bit of life, Jesus. We've seen your methods and how you operate. We get you. In other words, the disciples were having a proud moment here. That's what makes this hilarious. When I used to read this, I was thinking, okay, so the disciples are actually kind of like being truthful and all that. No, they were being prideful. They were being hubristic. They were thinking that they had gotten what they needed to get from Jesus in order to understand the fullness of the purposes of God. And so what did Jesus do in response to them? Oh, you get it, do you? Well, in a few moments, all of you are going to desert me. That's Jesus' response. That's the response that Jesus had. But I want you to understand this. As much as it's kind of a sharp response, you're like, you really get this. You think that you really believe me and you get me and you're going to do all these amazing things. Guess again, guys, you're all going to run away in just a few moments. Uh, Jesus then switches and he says to them, but I have said these things that you may have peace. And he comes back to this place of like, hey, I get it. We as disciples are always trying to figure things out for ourselves. We want to seem like we understand how God works and his purposes and how 
it all fits together and, and, and we don't like it when we feel like we are left in the dark, that we are not quite understanding what God is trying to accomplish. I've been there in that place where, you know, when painful situations have happened in my life and I, I've gone like, God, there are two options here. Either you don't love me or you're trying to punish me. And it made complete sense to me. And so I get it, God. You don't love me or you're punishing me. And God was like, no, 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 there's, a, there's at least a third option. Even in our human interactions with one another, I've realized that I'm really quick to boil down a person's actions and motivations to like, either this or this. And then I had the conversation with the person, I was like, uh, it was neither. <laughs> and I think that we need to come back to God with that kind of a lens. We look through our lives and we reflect on it and we pull God's motives and we say, God, it's either this or this. God's always actually doing something completely different that you will only understand in hindsight, that you will only understand in the grand scheme and the purposes of my life, of your life and the purposes and the plans. You're not going to get it now. Christianity is not about getting it or understanding it all or or. or or being able to place everything neatly into boxes, Christianity is about trusting Jesus because He's the one who was crucified and raised from the dead. Now, people who ask me, how do I know God is love? Why am I sure of it? And I say this to them, is because Jesus was a real historical figure. He made claims about Himself that either made Him a madman, a manipulator, or Christ Himself. And then He died... And then all evidence seems to point to the fact that he resurrected from the dead. Everything else is secondary to the fact that no other human has ever resurrected and appeared to hundreds of people. Like truly died and then resurrected and showed himself to other people. And have that person say that I am the Messiah and I am God and this is the way to life. There's no other person in the history of humanity. You can look through all of them. You can look through all of the different religions. And so that is the thing that makes sense. Jesus' resurrection is what makes sense. Everything else that doesn't make sense will make sense in an appropriate time. I don't need to figure it out right now. My hope is not in me figuring this out. My hope is that Jesus rose from the dead, which means that there's complete remission of my sin, which means that he's prepared a place for me in his father's house, which means that my eternity is secure, which means that he's calling me right now to live a life of purpose, which means that I get to live starting now. That's what the resurrection means. And so Jesus finishes with this phrase, take heart, I have overcome the world. When I was preparing for this, I didn't know how to land this. I was struggling to kind of go like, it's a bit of a hard place to land where Jesus kind of goes like, you're all going to run away. You're not going to be able to make it. I'm like, man, how would I land it? You're all going to run away. (laughs) At 11.30 on the dot, you're all going to go home. No, that's not the point. But then I felt Holy Spirit bring me back to the start of this year. Take heart. He put in my heart 
this phrase, take heart, which means courage. Courage. For some of you, your life hasn't made much sense. For some of you, things have been happening that doesn't make sense. For some of you, there is so much sorrow. For some of you, there is so much pain. For some of you, there's been so much trauma. For some of you, there have been situations that no one else can seem to explain why did it happen to you. Why me? I don't have necessarily an answer for that. But I know that Jesus died for my sin and he rose again on the third day. And he calls me to live and then he gives me this instruction. Take heart. There are some of you that are in a place where what you need to do is to take heart. Even while I was talking about discipleship at the start, and you're kind of going like, eh, not for me. And maybe a part of you is because vulnerability sucks so much for you. Being in a place of opening up and saying, I know where I've been, I know what I've done, or I've known what, hap- what has happened to me, I don't need any of this. The solution isn't to keep hardening up, Jesus' solution is to take heart. How do we take heart? We remain in Him. He's the source of our courage. He's the source of our hope. He's the source of our restoration. He's the source of our enablement for tomorrow. And guess what, Christian? Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who journeys alongside you is showing you the way to come to Jesus. I'm going to ask the band up this morning. We're going to have communion together. And a part of this, why I was thinking about that is communion helps us remember and to center ourselves on what Jesus has done. Not what we've done, not what we've accomplished, not how we've done things. Not my accolades, not my intelligence, not my skills. But it brings me back to a place of this is what Christ has done. Some of you this morning need to take heart. Some of you need to come back to Jesus and say, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And what's going on right now really, really, really sucks. And it's so hard. Some of you need to go back in time and realize that the pain that happened to you years ago is still lodged deep within your heart and it's still there. And Jesus is saying, courage. I have overcome the world. His resurrection shows that there's nothing that is beyond him. So take this moment, communion, literally the word means to be with someone, isn't it? To commune, to have a meal with someone. Let this be a spiritual feast for you. You are not alone. You don't have to fight for yourself. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to Make everything work according to your plans and purposes because we have a king 
We have a savior. We have a superhero that has actually accomplished a greater mission than any of us could ever imagine or understand. So right now, why don't you take the bread and the cup? And maybe if that was you, maybe say, Jesus, I want to take heart. I want to reveal all of my heart to you and I want to invite you in. Be my hope, be my peace, be my strength. I need you, Jesus. I need you, God. And when you've had communion, why don't you stand in this place? I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. But I really sense God's presence here. I really sense that God wants to meet with people, that there are things that people need to allow Jesus to, to work with. For maybe some of you, maybe he's actually coming to Jesus and saying, I repent, I need to lay this down. Maybe it's about a situation that you are trying to fight against or whatever it is. I believe that there's courage to be given this morning. I believe that there's hope that needs to be refilled in people's lives and people's hearts. And so I'm going to close in prayer and the band's going to lead us in this song. If you're all good, that's fine. Head off into the foyer. Consider discipleship. But I believe that God wants to do a great deep work in people's hearts this morning. Maybe your heart's gone cold and maybe you don't know why. Maybe you want to know Jesus more, but it feels like you just keep hitting a wall. This morning, I believe that Jesus wants to come and meet with you. And so that's my prayer for you this morning. Jesus, we thank you that your resurrection, your resurrection proves your love for us and proves that you have truly won the victory, that you have overcome the world. There is no situation or circumstance that is beyond you, God. And God, we want to turn our eyes to you. We want to turn our hearts to you as a church. We want to open ourselves up to you because, God, we need more of you. And God, we pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this place, into people's lives, so that we know that you are alive and active in each and every single one of us. God, I pray that, God, that you will speak to us in dreams and in visions. You will speak to us so that, God, that we can be attached to your will and your purposes. God, we want to abide with you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. The band's going to lead in song. You can head over to the foyer. But if you want prayer or if you just want to sit in God's presence for a little while, please take this opportunity because I think God really wants to do a significant work in people's lives this morning. Thank you so much, church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.